I'll be reading from Psalms chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who deserves life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. I'll be reading this morning from Deuteronomy 6, chapters 1, or verses 1 through 3. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are cr crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that, you, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now I'd like to read to you from the book of Psalms, chapter 92, verses 12 through 15. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 71, beginning verse 14. But as for me, I will always have hope and I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you've taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Did you hear that? If you give me a little longer, I'll proclaim your word and your ways to another generation. That's what these readings all have in common. It's amazing how intricately delicate the Christian line of heritage is. Each generation must claim itself to be faithful, but the previous generation must bear witness to the goodness of God. We've got to open our mouths and we've got to share not just the word of God, but how he's been faithful to us. I love to hear Danny introduce all those grandkids and then hear him say a reading, I can bear witness in my life, God has been good to me and it's better to live a faithful life to him than any other way. That's what the scripture reading was. His job is to bear witness to the next generation. There are times they've never seen, but they would have never been where they are right now if he hadn't been faithful in the generation before. And they need to have eyes into those times that they cannot see. But the only way they can see it is if you tell them. It's such an articulate faith that we have that depends on our words. 
So these scripture readings, all I want you to understand as they read these is we need to be talking and telling and sharing the story of faithfulness with the next generation so that they can claim that faith, interpret their lives the same way and be willing to share it with the next one that comes along. But now I wanna give you some examples, a few, and I've made the first one really hard because I decided I wanted to stump Randy Simpkins with my trivia questions, okay? So everybody look at Randy and see if he gets this, all right? All right, anybody know who Talmai is? You really knew that? Did you look at the slides? Did they show you that? Wow, that's one I wasn't expecting. Plow with your heifer. Okay, all right. So, okay, Talmai, king of Geshur, right? Okay. Uh, he's the son of Amihud, all right? What's significant about this guy? Anybody know? Okay, so it's a weird story, but you got Absalom, the very handsome, long-haired son of David. Y'all know him, right? His hair got caught in a tree, and he died there and ran him through. But the idea is Absalom got mad one day at his brother Amnon. Amnon was another brother, he was a handsome brother too, but they had a beautiful sister named Tamar. Amnon was in love with Tamar and he raped Tamar. It was a very awful, graphic, violent scene that just is just repulsive, but there it is in scripture. And guess what David did? David is the father. What did David do to Amnon? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Absalom is enraged. How can you not do anything about this? And I think I know why. Y'all, once you sexually sin, you find yourself powerless to correct anybody else who does any of that. It kind of ruins your moral persuasive authority. So David doesn't feel like he can correct anybody else once he's got his own. That's my theory, it doesn't make any difference, but David doesn't punish Amnon, and Absalom harbors such anger and, and wrath and malice against his brother, he waits for two years. He bides his time, and that bitterness and resentment just keeps building and keeps building until finally he has this amazing plan for how to kill Amnon at a family reunion. And that's what he does. He kills Amnon. Now, he's a murderer, too. He can't stay in Israel. What can he do? It says, Absalom then fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day, and Absalom fled and went to Geshur. He was there for three years. He, he, he had to get out of Israelite territory where their jurisdiction ends. He had to get out of this righteous empire because they would not allow a murderer to go untreated, right? But why go to Talmai? Back up to 2 Samuel chapter 3. Sons born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon. There's the one who was murdered. Uh, and Ahinoam was his mom. His second son was Chiliab. That's Abigail, the really good wife of David. But notice the third one. Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of who? <coughs> Talmai, king of... Guess what? He ran to his grandpa's house. He ran to his grandpa's kingdom. Why? Because grandpa will let me do whatever I want. 
He won't correct me. I'm his sweet little angel grandson, and I can just do whatever I want. I can do no wrong, and he stays there for three years. Now, it doesn't say that, but that's I'm kind of reading in the lines here. I'm giving you this as a negative example for grandparents. I'm all about this. I know what you all think. I hear it all the time. Your job is to take those grandkids and spoil them up real good, fill them with sugar, and send them back home. Is that right? Do I hear an amen? Does anybody? Right? Wrong. It's not true. Those sweet little angels can't do any wrong, and all you do is endorse them, and you, and you just say you're just perfect the way you are, automatic, unconditional approval, and unquestioning endorsement. No. No. What the parents need, <laughs> what your kids need, is a grandparent that reinforces the values of the home, doesn't undermine them, doesn't compromise them, but reinforces them. It's fine to spoil them a little bit and let them uh, you know, reverse the process, but to think that you have no responsibility for reinforcing faithfulness, even, even to the level of correction and discipline, that's not the kind of grandparent your kids need and your grandkids need. They need another layer of truth and life and standards and value. Be a source of help. Do not be like Talmai. Instead, be like Naomi. This one is a little more familiar to you. Naomi marries a man, obviously has a couple of kids, right? A couple of sons. They marry daughters. They move to Moab, right? That's where they have to get away from the famine in Israel. And so they go to Moab, a foreign territory. And her husband dies and her two sons die. And so she's left with these two daughters-in-law. One daughter-in-law goes back to her people, but you know Ruth, right? Ruth says, wherever you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. My, it's just an amazing, wonderful, that we use that at weddings, but that's not about wedding. That's between a mother and a mother-in-law. I mean, daughter-in-law. How weird is that, right? They go back to Israel. Ruth is this... Uh, this amazing lady that when she realizes that she's gleaning in the field of Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer, the next in line in the family to take care of her, she lets him know in a very scandalous scene in Scripture that we don't show at VBS and VeggieTales never does portray. She lets it be known that she's interested in him being interested in her. That's really what the scene is about. She's letting him know she's interested in him being interested in her. And as an older man, Boaz is easily convinced. I like it. I like this idea. She's interested in me being interested in her. And so I will. I will be interested in her. And he takes her and he marries her. And they have a child. Now, by the way, does anybody know who Boaz's mother is? Rahab the harlot. Isn't that weird? It's kind of a small world here. So Boaz marries her. They have a baby. And here's what it says in Ruth 4. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in, on her lap and, be, and became his nurse. I don't know how long <coughs> she lived with this child, but she took him immediately and took care of him. And his first years, I don't know how many first years, are, are very active with Naomi, grandma, t 
taking care of him. His name is Obed and becomes the father of Jesse and the father of David and a great role that he plays in bringing Jesus on the scene. But long before all that, he's just a baby in his grandma's lap. And okay, I'm making this stuff up, right? I'm speculating. But what is, what are the stuff that she pours into this baby? Oh, loving on him for sure. But as he grows older, does, he, does she share the story of Rahab and how she was a foreigner and the people come in the land and she becomes part of Israel? Does she share that? She has to, doesn't she? Then, and then she has to share, hey, be faithful and life will be wonderful and grand all the time. Is that what she shares? No, neither can you. You need to be honest and say life gets hard sometimes, but you stay faithful. You stay faithful no matter how bitter life might get because listen, you're going to come in your old age and you'll realize how blessed you've been and you're going to be able to pour those lessons into your grandkids and don't make them casual, nominal Christians, but Christians who know life sometimes just stinks, but the best place to be is right there in the faithful heart of God. That's where it's the place to be. She pours that into this baby. That's what grandparents do. Now here's another one. Lois, not our Lois. Lois Smith missed scripture by about 10 years. That was funny. <laughs> this Lois is a different Lois, right? You know that so Paul is in Lystra, you remember that? And he gets stoned, left for dead. And then he gets right back up and goes right into the city. Oh, that's an amazing scene. It's a great thing to teach in Acts. But imagine being little Timothy, maybe eight, nine years old, watching that. Can you imagine seeing that in your own town? Crazy. But he grows up in the faith, and he's so faithful. Paul says, man, you're the kind of person I'm going to take on a missionary journey with me, and does, and then leaves him in Ephesus, and he writes First and Second Timothy to him there. But Timothy, as a young man, as he's doing ministry, is very intimidated by some of these older people who seem to think his age disqualifies him from some things. And Paul says, I'm, I, I don't want you being timid. I want you to, you, you've got what it takes, Timothy, and you're right, and you're, you're mature. You're more mature than most people your age, so fan that into flame, right? But notice what he says. I'm, he says, first, Paul says, remember my example when I was with you. Stone, and you go back in. Don't let anything stop you, right? But I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. You remember, Timothy? Synagogue school, you remember? Your first Bible teacher was your grandma? And she'd come home and talk more about that stuff. You, you remember, and your mother Eunice too. And it dwells in you. She put it in you. So I'm reminding you, and you keep doing, don't stop. Don't just stop the family heritage. Don't let the circle be broken, right? Let it go and keep going. And you do the same. Now, how, what, what kind of things did she do? Chapter three, two chapters later, says this. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned. You know it's true. Don't question what you were taught when you were two, three. And I want to say to young people, what we're teaching you in Bible class is not just for youth. It's for your entire life. True. 
This is what you're to interpret life through, y'all. This stuff we're telling you is not a fairy tale. It's for every day of your life till you die. And you're going to go and you're going to go into a world that doesn't believe it, that compromises it, undermines it, and you've got to hang on to it. And trust your teachers, especially when those teachers are your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, and your dad. And notice he says, continue in these things that you firmly believed. You know who you learned it from. Sometimes question, is this really true? And then you go, it's what my grandma said. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Apparently Lois, when he was a wee little lad, read scripture. And Paul says, don't you forget it. Don't you let that go. But listen, grandmas and grandpas, for them to be able to build on it, you had to have put it there. They cannot remember what didn't happen. Lois, a hero of faith. Here's the last one. It's Jacob from way back in the Old Testament. This is something I'd like to explore a lot about parents, especially dads and grandfathers, right? This beautiful image, when Israel, that's Jacob, when Jacob saw Joseph's sons, he adopted them. If you look at all the breakdown of the 12 tribes and the allotment of the land, you don't see any tribe of Joseph. Joseph doesn't have his own tribe. Why? Because Jacob made, adopted his two grandkids and gave them Joseph's portions. So you've got the two grandkids becoming the tribes of Israel. It's an amazing scene. He's making up for lost time of being separated from his grandchildren. But he says, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, who could no longer see, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. He puts... One generation putting their hand on another, passing on a blessing. I don't know anything more beautiful than that. So we've looked at these scriptures, and then we look at these examples, and it leaves one more thing to do in this sermon. We're done. It's this. Here's my one word for for grandparents. Bless your grandchildren. Bless them spiritually. Be a source of pride and anchoring for their entire lives by being an active participant in their faithful walk. And I'm assuming a lot of things here. Some of you don't have faithful grandparents. I get that. Some of you, I understand that, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what Scripture has to say to you. As you are fulfilling your grandparenting role, it is not just to be Mr. Fun and endorsement of everything they are. It is to be an active participant in blessing them. It's not a ceremonial role. You're not a parent emeritus, right? You're not ornamental. Your role is to reinforce the faith that you want to see the next generation to learn and adopt and live out in their own lives. Grandparents often have more unclaimed time 
You, you remember when you're a parent and you're just trying to make your career and trying to, and you just feel so hectic, like you just don't have the time to really be as good a parent as you. Grandparents now have a little more unclaimed time and they usually have a little more of the funds than they had when they were raising their kids. And now you can do that with your grandkids. You can use your time to bless them. So use it. Be an encouragement. Text them. Learn how to text. I don't text. Learn! In an instant, you can have words of encouragement in their, on their cell phone, and I promise it's with them at every single moment of their lives. Don't let everybody else be the influence. Learn to text and text your grandkids. You don't text them all the time. Don't make them long, and don't forward something weird that you find is cute. Don't do that. Please don't do that in those videos and cat videos. No, just little, just little messages of encouragement from grandma and grandpa to the grandkids. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Tell the stories. Don't make them long and boring, please. And don't get all wrapped up in your genealogy. They do not care. But those stories, how life got tough, how you were faced with a difficult thing, and the mistakes you made, tell the stories. Interpret them by faith. Help them to learn from your mistakes. They don't have to make them. A lot of them will. But some of them will actually listen. And some of them will remember my grandpa told me that if I just listened. All that stuff. And then correct them in a great, wonderful grandparent. We, we don't talk like that. No, no, we don't act like that in this family. I mean, just be like that. Be a, a source of reinforcement for the parents. Sow the seeds of truth. Tell them what God has done for you, what you have seen God do in your life, and say the word, God did it. Interpret your life through God for them so that they can start learning to interpret their own lives in God. Show them how to do things that no one else knows how to do anymore. Take the time to be with them. Go up to their parents and say, hey, y'all go off and have a honeymoon trip and leave them with us for two or three days. We're going to have Camp Grandma and Camp Grandpa, and we're going to have a wonderful time. And make the time fun. That's what you do. They'll never forget it. Yeah, live your life playing golf and fishing and all that stuff. But listen, you need to have grand... I, 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 I'll boast about this. I'll boast about a lot of things about my grandparents, but here's, here's one of the things. When you still teach VBS and when you still teach Bible class and you say, I'm going to leave it for the younger people, don't! Don't! They need to see Grandma and Grandpa still working in the church. Maybe even going on a mission trip. What? Yeah! It's a boast for these kids. They're going to look back at that and say, they are such stud muffins, right? Because look at what they did. And they can still do this. Do not sit down and retire and stop being this example for them. Grandparents are huge. <clears throat> I think the reason I'm a Christian is because of a step-grandmother. And I often wonder, as I see people today, as you think about, you know, your, he, she was about to inherit. Her son was about to marry this woman she probably didn't know well had two kids already that's always a little bit weird you come home and say i met this girl she's got two kids and you're just like oh and the complication of all that what did she think i don't know what she thought but i know what she did total acceptance total belonging and then invited us to church and that church became that surrogate family she was my first bible class teacher
an amazing woman. Because of a step-grandparent, I am a Christian today. Do not underestimate what grandparents can do. Instead, picture the incredible glue you can create for them. Make great memories surrounding faith to where when they ever consider leaving behind the faith, they cannot do it because of all the layers of emotion involved in it. And it's because you started this stuff and because you made it so real and so part of who they are and the family ethic. That's what God, I think, asks of grandparents. Your job is not just spoil and leave. It's not that. It's much more significant than that. Your life still has such significance and meaning to the next generation. And they can then pass on the faith to generations they'll never see through this one. And it's an amazing blessing. I just, you you can't overstress it. So I'm going to end with this passage, with this one verse that drives a lot of people. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. I know a lot of people concerned about this, and they turn over property so that the government doesn't get it when they go in the nursing home, and sometimes they do this in a very questionably ethical way. I don't care, neither will they in the long run, if you leave them money and stuff. To this day, my mom will still say it every trip, you just compile that list of stuff from the house you want. One of these days, I'm not going to be here. I want to say to her, I've already got what I need from you. Leave an inheritance of faithfulness so that you can actually influence the next generation. Listen, your money will be frivolously spent. We will spend it on too much Andy's ice cream and all this other stuff. It will be frivolously spent and it won't be remembered the next generation, but your faithfulness, like a baton in a relay race, could go on for generations. Leave that inheritance with your grandkids. You're not done, you're not through. You can have even more impact now than you ever had throughout your life. Let's be the kind of grandparents that please God, which means you'll please your parents, your, your kids who are parents, and you'll please your, grandparent, your grandkids, and it will be a blessing to them, and it go on to the next ones. If there's anyone here who's not a Christian, you've never chosen to continue the heritage of faithfulness that, that has come down to you. You are the link to the next generation, and if you're going to pass it along, you've got to live it. And if you're not doing that and you need to name name the name of Jesus and be immersed, this morning's a great time to do it. If you've done that, but for whatever reason, you've laid down the baton and it's like, that's not even important to me, pick it back up. You don't need to go forward to do that, but pick it back up. We need you for coming generations. Your job isn't dead yet, isn't done yet because you're not dead yet, right? You've got work to do. Do it. And if you need to make a spiritual response this morning, make it known as we stand and as we sing.